Hello, hello, and welcome back to DFT's Dungeon. My name is Daniel Terry, and on this episode, I want to talk about some things that typically don't seem like they go together very well on paper. For instance, Skittles and fish, or how about anchovies on toast, or, or even better, hot sauce on ice cream, or, you know, whatever the hell Vegemite is and why somebody would put it on actual food and put it in their body. You haven't tried it, but you probably already know whether you like it or not. And I think that those kinds of weird combinations exist in other forms as well. For instance, most people are not going to watch a movie that's a combination of slapstick comedy and deep psychological horror and emotional drama. Or a real-time strategy video game, but it has racing elements and third-person action gameplay. But you know what, this episode's not about the video game Brutal Legend. Schwacked. So reflecting back on something like Mortification's 1999 album Hammer of God, it's hard not to view it at first glance as just another one of these odd pairings. And of course, I'm gonna avoid the low-hanging fruit of saying, well, it's an odd pairing of heavy metal and Christian lyrics. Because, like, first of all, plenty of knuckle-dragging keyboard warriors on Metal Archives have probably beaten me to the punch by literal decades on that subject. And also, if the novelty of Christian lyrics mixed with heavy metal is a little bit too much for you in 2023, I kind of don't know what to tell you because it's probably not a fad. And it's probably not going away. But before we dig into this album proper, I want to get my housekeeping out of the way first. If you guys like this podcast, please make sure that you're subscribed to it on whatever app that you're using to listen to it, just so you don't miss any episodes when they come out. And if you guys really like the podcast, make sure to tell the entire world. And how do you do that? By leaving a review, either on Apple Podcasts, or you can leave me a comment on social media, or you can send me an email at dftdungeon at gmail.com. And you can always follow the podcast on X, formerly known as Twitter, but I think from here on out, I'm just going to call it Twix. You can follow me on threads or on Facebook or on Instagram. And you guys may have noticed that I've been posting these little short videos pertaining to each episode. And guys, it helps me out so much whenever you guys like those videos and share them and comment on them. Because as social media algorithms go, they typically like it whenever the posts are interacted with. So I really appreciate you guys that have done that and continue to do that. And with all my blatant shilling out of the way, let's get into it. So I've been listening to Mortification for quite some time now. And the first time I ever heard about the band was at this Christian youth group that I went to in high school called Student Venture. And when I came into that group in my freshman year, I was one of the few people in that group that was into harder edged music, or at least what I thought was harder edged music at the time. And usually one of the first things that teenagers like to ask other teenagers about is, what kind of music are you into? I also think that in like a Christian youth group context, the reason they would ask you about the things that you enjoy is so that they could find maybe an appropriate Christian version of that thing for you to enjoy. But I quickly became friends with these two guys named Buddy and Will, and you guys all know Buddy, and you guys know Will is the guy that I always would steal CDs from and, and never return, including this one. 
They were also into hard rock and metal bands, and I remember Will showing me his bedroom where he had what looked like hundreds of CDs. And I was like looking at the CDs and I didn't actually know who any of the artists were because a lot of them were like Christian artists and I, I didn't even know really at the time that that world even exists. And then he asks me what kind of metal bands I like and I go, uh, I mean, I, I like Metallica, Megadeth, Korn, Slipknot, you know, that like real brutal stuff. And he latched right onto me saying Metallica and Megadeth, and it wasn't very long before he pulled out the subject of this episode, which was Hammer of God by Mortification. And he was like, yeah, man, if you like stuff like early Metallica and Megadeth and stuff like that, then you might like this. And then he goes on to say it's got lots of guitar solos, galloping riffs, and stuff like Iron Maiden and Metallica. And the guy, like, yells all the words, and it's got Bible-based Christian lyrics. So he hands me the CD and I look it over a little bit skeptically because the thing that Christian metal really struggles with is the way that it's described to people, especially younger people. It just doesn't sound very cool. Like for some reason, as soon as somebody is like, yo, this is like X, but with Bible based lyrics, suddenly my desire to actually listen to it kind of shrivels up and dies. I don't really know what it is, but that's always the effect that it's had on me. But since these guys were my friends, and I didn't really have a lot of friends before that point in my life, I took the CD from them and I decided to give it a little bit of a look over. I remember thinking immediately that this CD was going to be weird because the cover artwork is this like royal purple background image. And there's this Star of David right in the center that's made out of swords. And then there's like two hammers crossed in the center. And then like these golden crowns mixed in there. And then there's actually even more swords in there. I guess for good measure, because, you know, got to have them swords. He's got a sword, you idiots! We've all got swords! And then at the top right-hand corner, there's this gnarly as hell death metal style band logo. And to this day, that classic Mortification logo remains one of my favorites. And with no disrespect intended to the rest of the cover, the band logo was pretty much the only reason I proceeded to go any further with the album. And I thought it was interesting how the hinge spine said Modern Metal Extremes, which is funny because, like, as we're going to find out, not only is this not really extreme metal, but it's not even as extreme as Mortification gets. So I opened up the case, and the artwork on the physical disc is significantly cooler. <laughs> it has the classic Mortification logo at the top of this solid black disc, and there's this little graphic of swords with demon skulls on each side of it. And so this was obviously a lot more appealing to my teenager self. And the liner notes actually fold out into this massive poster looking deal with pictures of all the band members holding their instruments and then if you flip it over all the lyrics are printed on the back page and there's even this advertisement inside where you could mail a check to australia which is where the band is from to buy your very own hammer of god t-shirt i wonder if that still works and i think it's funny how in the credits lincoln bowen is credited as guitar and keith bannister is credited as drums but then for steve rowe it says bass guitar, bass pedals, and vocals. And like, obviously he's talking about distortion pedals for his bass, right? But like, I can't help but have this mental image that Keith Bannister is playing all the drums except for the bass drum. And then Steve has to like stop what he's doing and run over and play them himself. In the band photos, Steve's also wearing this really badass ultimatum t-shirt. And so I'm kind of taking all of this in 
and I told Will, you know what, man, go ahead and just pop it in and listen to it. Let's kind of get this over with, right? Because I really, I really had no idea what I was about to hear. This is what I heard. The first song, Metal Crusade, starts off with this really interesting bass intro that eventually turns into this main riff, which comes complete with the previously mentioned metal-y, gallopy riffs. I'm sure that's the technical term for it. And then Steve Rowe comes in shouting the vocals, and this was literally the first time I had ever heard Steve Rowe's voice. And I gotta be honest, my first gut reaction was that I really couldn't quite figure out what was happening. The music didn't really seem to match the vocals at all. And it seemed more like the music on Hammer of God was more based in like classic 80s metal, like something you'd hear from like Iron Maiden or Manowar. But then Steve's vocals come in and they're like this rough, like growly shout. And it sounds more like something you'd hear from Lemmy from Motorhead or maybe even like Dave Mustaine. So I was a little bit confused because musically you have something that would have been more comfortable in the 80s with the galloping riffs, the clean solos, and there were even keyboards going on in the song. And so my reaction was that like, I really didn't know how to feel about it because at the time, the only thing I could really focus on was that this band did not, in fact, sound anything like the bands that I told Will that I was into. And I think I was expecting to hear some kind of like melodic singing over that kind of music because that's kind of all I was familiar with versus what I ended up getting. And this is that truly weird combination of things that I was talking about in the intro. It was something that my gut would tell me that I didn't like and wasn't into at all. But the question here was, is this record bad because it's something that I'm not expecting? And was it bad because I just hadn't heard enough metal in my life to really understand or contextualize what I was hearing? And this idea would come up again and again as I got older because I started hearing vocals and musical styles that seemed really alien compared to what I'd already heard in my limited experience. Because, I mean, shit, I must have been like 14 when I was listening to this. And I feel like that's what a lot of people do when it comes to music. Like, we get so used to hearing something that we initially latched onto, and then we'll only kind of listen to stuff that already sounds like that. And I think for metal fans, that's why the subject of what bands do you like comes up because depending on the obscurity of the band that somebody says, you can kind of tell how wide somebody's musical palette really is. A guy who likes Metallica might just be a guy who listens to whatever comes on the radio. But a guy whose favorite band is like Suffocation, that guy's probably heard a lot of other bands before he got to that point. And this isn't like a totally accurate way to predict somebody else's music tastes. Like don't walk up to people and ask them to name three songs, please. I, I know plenty of guys who love Metallica, but also listen to like way harder to find music because um, I'm kind of one of those guys. So it's not really a competition. I also think this is why so many bands get unfairly criticized. I think that's where the instant dismissal of certain bands and entire genres really comes from. And I know I did this all the time on my old podcast discography discussion. 
I'd come loaded with years and years of musical expectations that absolutely needed to be met in order to get a good review out of me. And if a band happened to make a mistake by releasing an album that I loved and then changing it on future albums, like even just a little bit, well then my fat little feelings would get hurt and I'd shit on it. So at that time, my reaction to Hammer of God was a hard, no dude, this is not for me. And then I kind of moved on and I got into bands that reminded me more of bands that I liked at the time, like Korn and Deftones. And those bands, if anybody's wondering, were P.O.D. and Project 86. And I kind of forgot all about Mortification in just a few weeks. It was like we listened to like half of Metal Crusade and that was, that was it. And it wasn't until that year's Agape Christian Music Festival, which I think was about six months later, that I really started thinking about Mortification again. When we got off the bus, because we went there with our local Baptist Church's youth group, me and Buddy wasted zero time running right into that big merch tent that they had set up. Because at the time, this was one of the quickest ways to find cool new Christian music. The internet did exist back then, but other than going to a Christian bookstore, you really didn't quite know what bands were out there. It was kind of a cool time because it seemed like there were so many possibilities and discoveries and part of me kind of misses that. But then the other part of me is like, yeah, but it's like it's like way better to have instant access to whatever you want. So I'm kind of I'm kind of torn there between like wanting to enjoy a good thing but also just being kind of an old person. And once we were in that merch tent, we found a seller who was selling metal albums, and one of the albums I picked up was Triumph of Mercy by Mortification. And I only bought it because it was another album by a band that I had quote unquote heard of, and I don't think I really remembered what they sounded like at the time and the seller told me that if I liked death metal that I would love it and now I didn't really know much about death metal at the time but I wasn't going to admit that to this guy who was standing there in like a metal t-shirt and had this like really epic beard and long greasy hair so you know I was like yeah dude death metal 100% let's get it we also bought a few more albums from that guy, but we ended up returning a whole bunch of them the next day because it turns out that this guy was just there selling metal CDs in general, and most of the ones that we bought weren't Christian at all, which at the time seemed like the most evil thing that could ever happen at a Christian music festival. You should have seen how I acted when a band who was signed to a Christian label didn't thank Jesus in their album booklet. So like this was, this was like a huge deal. But I held on to the Triumph of Mercy CD because, you know, there's not really any doubts about whether or not Mortification is a Christian band. And so I listened to the CD a couple of times while I was at this fest. And I'll be honest, I disliked it more than that time I listened to Hammer of God. Triumph of Mercy is a totally different beast, though, and I could probably do an entire other episode on that in the future. But I, I feel like I have to say a little bit about it in order to explain how I ended up really getting to Hammer of God. So Steve's vocals on Triumph of Mercy were much harsher than the vocals that were on Hammer of God. And the band was going for like a little bit more of a death metal sound on Triumph of Mercy, and I just wasn't quite ready for that yet. And I was bummed out though because I had just bought the CD, and I remember telling Buddy that I wanted to listen to Hammer of God again because 
the vocals on Hammer of God were more tolerable for me than the vocals that were on this record that I just bought. Which I gotta say is hilariously the opposite of how I would feel about it now. And so for the rest of the fest, I just read the lyrics to Triumph of Mercy, and I had to remember to ask Will if I could borrow his Hammer of God CD from him when we got home. Because let's be honest, I was really just at the fest to buy CDs, and they pretty much never had any heavy bands at Agape Fest. I think Pillar played once. I think, I think that's the only time that I can remember. I guess Thousand Foot Crutch played too, once. But it was in reading that booklet that I discovered that Steve Rowe had just recently... Well, at least within the past few years as of 2000, so like 1997, 1998, he had just survived a long and drawn out battle with cancer. And that was the entire theme behind the Triumph of Mercy album. Apparently, he was in the hospital while writing that album. He tells a story in the booklet about how he was literally sitting in his hospital bed writing the song Raw as the Stonewood Temple, like between his cancer treatments. And my mom had cancer when I was in grade school, and so like I remember just how absolutely crushing it was for her to do literally anything. And so I can't even really fathom somebody sitting down and writing metal songs like during that treatment process. And it was at that moment that I decided that Steve Rowe is awesome. And I don't care how weird I think his vocals are, and I don't care if people think that the band's lyrics are cheesy. This opened up the door to this weird phenomena where I would have liked those two albums, whether I thought they were objectively good or not. And I decided that I liked this band, and this was going to be a get-out-of-jail-free card against whatever preconceived biases that I had for music at that time. And it's in that spirit that I will give you my thoughts on Hammer of God. The first weird thing about Hammer of God is how it unabashedly opens with a seven-minute song. Metal Crusade hits you right up front with classic metal vibes, and that intro has one of the most unique bass tones I've ever heard. Because, like, bass on metal records is usually kind of passed over in favor of guitar, but Steve Rowe was, like, the opposite of that. If you had an opportunity to hear Steve Rowe's bass, he would take it. Although, I will admit that Hammer of God, it is one of his more restrained performances compared to, like, some of the later Mort albums that came after this. And Lincoln's guitar tone and riffing pays tribute to these, like, classic metal bands like Iron Maiden and Manowar. But he also kind of tries to introduce, like, subtle doses of modern groove metal. Because when you're listening to it, you can tell that it's not supposed to just be 80s metal or it, it wouldn't be quite as heavy as it is but it's not heavy enough to be like thrash or death metal so even though the guitar tone isn't like as harsh as it probably could be there are songs on this album like the song martyrs that actually punch pretty hard and martyrs is heavier and faster paced and it's got these cool like little flourishes here and there and the album's unique too for the use of keyboards on nearly every song which is something that longtime Mortification fans are probably not used to. 
but I personally think it's cool and I think it adds to the classic feel of the record. Lock Up the Light and In the Woods continue on in very much the same fashion. Moderate pacing, nothing too fast, but not slow enough to where it's like boring. And Lock Up the Night has this almost like 70s hard rock type of solo about halfway through it. And the groove in this song is like really catchy and enjoyable. And something interesting to note about Steve's vocals on this album is that he repeats certain patterns on each song and he somehow is able to come up with like a catchy hook. And this is really unusual for this type of vocal style, but I think this is just something unique to Steve Rowe because even if you go back to the old Mortification death metal albums from the early 90s, he always did his best to make the songs memorable. So, like, this dude, like, actually was able to write, like, catchy, hooky death metal songs. The first major departure from the album's overall sound is a song called A Pearl. And A Pearl's interesting because it's a much slower-paced and deliberate song. And I think it's actually trying to go for more of, like, a ballad kind of feeling because it's got this huge melodic piano section right in the middle. And so even though it's like pretty and melodic and like there's a piano going, Steve's vocals are completely unchanged (laughs) from the rest of the album, which gives the song a little bit of a disjointed feeling. I think this is one of the more interesting decisions on this album because this is where the disharmony of the vocals with the music is the most apparent. So while I'd love to just be done with it and call it a bad song, I actually don't hate it. And it represents something about Mortification that I actually really appreciate about their whole musical career. And that's the experimentation. I like that Mortification throws as many ideas into each album as they can. And while I admit that there's moments like this where I don't think it necessarily works, this is the specific thing that prevents a band like Mortification from being remembered like an ACDC or a Napalm Death. Because even though those bands are widely successful, most people would describe them as having albums that all sound the same. And that is absolutely not the case with Mortification, for better or for worse. In my personal opinion, I think that the B-side of Hammer of God is the strongest. The title track picks up the pace and is a more straight-ahead, aggressive song like we're used to. And it's followed by Liberal Mediocrity, which is one of the catchier songs on the album. And it's got like these really, really good catchy guitar hooks right at the top. And Extreme Conditions is probably the most aggressive song on the album with a really good amount of groove and just a faster pace overall compared to the rest of the songs with maybe the exception of like Martyrs. Ride the Light is up next and it's just a catchy little song with some really cool guitar flourishes during the chorus. You know what? 
Now that I think about it, I don't I don't think my friend in high school didn't just recommend me this album because I said I like Metallica and Ride the Light sounds like Ride the Lightning. Oh, come on! And ending the album proper is a song by the name of Dwam! Okay, hold on. No, there's periods there, right? So it's actually D-W-A-M. D-W-A-M. And I really wish I was making this up, but the letters stand for Daniel was a mosher. D-W-A-M, Daniel was a mosher! Daniel was a mosher, or Dwam, is a two-minute punk-style song about the Bible story of Daniel in the lion's den. And Steve uses the song to compare the lion's den to a mosh pit and claims that the lion surfed him all around. D-W-A-M, Daniel was a mosher, right? Uh, and it's totally out of place on the album, which is why I think that they stuck it on at the end. And this is another weird choice because up to this point in the record, it has had a mildly cheesy flavor to the lyrics, but overall the tone has been pretty serious. I mean, the second track on the album is about Christians being murdered in various horrific ways. And then this song's a joke song. And this is hard for me because I'm usually so obsessed with music being serious business all the time. And I'll talk more about that whenever I eventually do that He Is Legend episode. But even though I'm a dad now and I have tons of horrible, cheesy dad jokes at my disposal, when I hear this song today, I'm still like, oh my God, Steve, come on. But what I didn't know at the time was that this song was just one in this long line of mortification joke songs, which started with this one minute song on the first mortification album called The Majestic Infiltration of Order. And the lyrics are only God rules, like literally repeated over and over again, just God rules, God rules, God rules. And then later on, he had a song called Jesus Grinds Satan's Head, which was off the album Blood World. And then on Primitive Rhythm Machine, he has another song like that called Killing Evil. And I just never really cared for these joke songs. And I'm not just going to pretend like I do now all of a sudden. But that said, that's just Steve Rowe. And I'm not going to fault the guy for having a sense of humor. But we are not actually done with the album yet because this album has an astonishing six bonus tracks for me to dig into. And the bonus songs were actually on the original release of the album. And I'm not actually sure if there's any versions of Hammer of God that don't have the bonus tracks on them. Because I've got this re-released version of the album and it actually has, I think, two more bonus songs on it. But uh, the original release has those six bonus songs on it. I think maybe the vinyl version doesn't have the bonus tracks. Yeah, email me dftdungeon at gmail.com. Tell me if the if the vinyl version has the bonus songs. The first bonus song is called Medley, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a combination of older mortification songs rolled into one seven-minute song. And it contains the songs Lymphosarcoma from Scrolls of the Megaloth, the Destroyer Beholds from Self-Titled, Distarnished Priest from Post-Momentary Affliction, and then Love Song from Blood World. The strangest part of this medley is the fact that these songs are all like reimagined versions that are done in the Hammer of God style, instead of like staying more true to their original death metal versions. And it's also kind of funny because this was my first exposure to these songs, and it would be quite some time before I realized that this was a mashup song at all. 
but I do really like how Lymphosarcoma transitions into the Destroyer Beholds. Even whenever I'm listening to the old version of it off of scrolls, I'm always like waiting for it to transition into Destroyer Beholds. Although I did have to go back and check the lyrics the first time I listened to this song because he separates the word wretched into two syllables and it sounds like he's saying red shit. Personally, I could take or leave this song is now that I've heard the original versions of the songs, I kind of prefer those to this, but but I think maybe this was just an easy way for Steve to include some of his favorite songs in one song so he could just cram as many of them into a set list as he could. But it's definitely weird for me now hearing these songs without the death metal vocals. So a weird choice. I kind of get why it's a bonus track. And up next is a re-recorded version of The Majestic Infiltration of Order. But it's funny because he just decided to call it God Rules this time, and the final God Rules scream is done by his son, Layton, which is kind of cute. Like, as a dad, I appreciate that, but it is also kind of weird for an album that came out on Metal Blade Records. And the next two bonus songs are just demo versions of two of the songs from Triumph of Mercy that, in my honest opinion, actually sound better than the Triumph of Mercy versions. Like, I think on Triumph of Mercy, they were going for more of, like, this death metal style of productions, but the songs sound like, I don't know, they just sound more full here in their demo form on Hammer of God, which is weird. And speaking of weird, the final song is a reworked instrumental version of Metal Crusade. But then it's, like, not really an instrumental because you can still hear Steve shouting Metal Crusade during the choruses. And then there's an even weirder part where it seems like the song ends, and then the last two minutes you can hear that galloping riff being played, but it sounds like it's like really, really far away, and it never picks back up, and then that quieter sound at the end eventually fades out and the CD's over. And this absolute monster of a record clocks in at 70 minutes and 40 seconds, which is including the bonus songs. And there's a lot going on in that 70 minutes. A lot of which I like, but also quite a few things that I don't really like. But whenever you take the whole thing as a whole product, I still call it a personal classic. And while it's not some kind of like all-time award winner, I've been steadily revisiting this album for about 23 years. And what may have started off as a weird road bump in my musical journey, it was successful in getting me off the beaten path a little bit. What we have with Hammer of God is a record that was fighting a battle on multiple fronts. Most people, whenever you ask them about Mortification, they're going to call them a death metal band. And at one time, that was absolutely the truth. I mean, the first three Mortification albums are still praised as absolute death metal classics. And not just in Christian metal circles. However, as time went on, people quit, new people came into the band, and Steve Rowe was the only constant member, and he was the main songwriter. And starting with the album Blood World, he started changing the musical direction of the band on each album that came after it. And I think what he was trying to do was just better represent his full range of musical influences, not just the death metal ones. But if you ever talk to a diehard death metal fan, 
you're going to find out that they aren't really too excited to hear that your next album isn't more death metal. But if you ask Steve Rowe what his influences were growing up, he's probably going to throw out bands like Iron Maiden or Motorhead, in addition to bands like Napalm Death. And with that in mind, it paints a much clearer picture of what an album like Hammer of God actually is. I think that there were a lot of things stacked against this record, and really even the two that came out before it, because you always had this fan expectation that the band was eventually going to pull out another Scrolls of the Megaloth. And the album Envision Evangeline was this like really bold statement of purpose and direction for mortification. Because it was like more of like a power metal album, right? Just with Steve Rose vocals. And understandably, that was met with some backlash from the longtime fans. And Triumph of Mercy came out after that, and it was slanted in a much more death metal direction. And I think that was a direct result of that fan backlash. So with Hammer of God, I really appreciate that instead of trying to just go harder to appease fans, Steve just pushed forward in the direction that best represented his artistic expression. And that's pretty honorable, whether you personally like the music or not. Even with what I do on the podcast, sometimes I I feel the need to cover things more because I'm afraid people won't like the weirder albums that I'm into. Like, it's always a lot safer for me to just pick a solid state or face down records like Metalcore Band from the early 2000s because I know that people are going to click on that. And honestly, I don't really even get the same level of hateful backlash that Steve got all through the 90s. And I gotta come clean. I was one of those people too. You can go back and listen to the discography discussion episode on Mortification. I hated the band for years for not playing the kind of music that I thought that they should be playing. And just the other day I heard a very rare interview with Steve Rowe on the Imaginary Music Podcast because Steve Rowe has been retired from music for several years now. It's a rare sight to see him do a podcast interview. And it kind of broke my heart listening to Steve say that it's probably best for him to stay off the internet because there's tons of people online that just hate him. And it was a full stop moment for me because... I knew that I was one of the people who participated in that criticism. But it did make me reflect a lot and reevaluate my feelings about the band and what this random recommendation from 23 years ago really meant to me. See, if I'd never heard Hammer of God back in the 2000s, I would have never gone back and checked out the band's back catalog. And while there's definitely Mortification albums that I like a lot more than Hammer of God... This was that first critical exposure. If I hadn't heard this album, I would have never heard Scrolls of the Megaloth. I would have never gotten into old school death metal and the huge amount of bands and subgenres that sprouted from that scene. I would have never gained enough appreciation or knowledge for extreme metal to be able to host a heavy metal podcast for five years. And I certainly wouldn't be doing this podcast episode right now. If it wasn't for a guy sticking to his guns and creating the music that he wanted to create, then I would probably have just kept listening to whatever boring mainstream music was spoon-fed to me from my local radio stations. And by the age of 37, I would have already heard whatever I thought the best record of all time was, 
and not ever checked out anything new and told all the kids out there that it never got better than those first four Metallica albums. So it doesn't objectively matter to me whether the album is some kind of all-time classic. Because for me, it remains an unshaking pillar in my musical foundation. And it taught me to appreciate music for what it is and not to judge it based on what I think it's going to be. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of DFT's Dungeon. Like I said in the intro, my name is Daniel Terry. And one thing I forgot to plug at the beginning of the episode is the Discord server. The Discord server is probably the easiest place to get a hold of me online. I'm always there. Listeners of the show are there. My friends are all there. We're always there in the DFT Dungeon Discord server, sharing memes, talking about music, talking about life, and just chilling out and having a good time in a place that's not dominated by algorithms and, and self-promotion and, and all of that good stuff. So if you want to meet some cool people and talk about some cool stuff, check out the DFT Dungeon Discord server. There's going to be a link in the show notes, and uh, I'll also have links for all the various social media platforms that I'm on. And so I hope to hear from you guys soon, but if I don't, that's okay too. I'll see you right here next week for the next episode.